Hey there. Thanks for joining us at Risen King Church for our weekly podcast. We hope you experience God today. Make sure you visit us at risenking.life to take all your next steps and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Enjoy the message. Um, when I was a kid, like most of us like kids, you know, you have dreams about what you want to become. So just pause for a second and think about what did you want to be when you were a kid? Now, tell your neighbor. Go ahead, tell your neighbor. What did you want to be when you were a kid? So when I was a kid, I wanted to be a Major League Baseball player. The only problem is I lacked all talent in that sport. I mean, I played in college and stuff, but I was never good enough to play on any level like that. But yet when I was a kid, I had all these, you know, sort of fantasies and dreams about playing Major League Baseball and, you know creating a name for myself and all that kind of stuff. Of course, back then I couldn't have understood this, but that grandiosity actually came from shame. And a lot of us, our dreams are actually formed out of our brokenness. Now here's the good news. God redeems our brokenness to make us the people of destiny He wants us to be. But there's a journey in there. And for me, it's funny, you know, when I, when I really surrendered my life to Christ... Some of the dreams that I had, which were inflated with grandiosity out of shame, were transferred from Major League Baseball to things of the kingdom. It wasn't intentional, it's just I wasn't aware of what was going on. But God used that stuff as part of my shaping journey. And I'm not alone in this. There's a guy in the Bible, his name is Joseph, who also struggled with some grandiosity. And it came out of his shame. But God did a healing journey on him, and he made him a man of destiny. And I want to take a look at his story today. Listen, if you came to me and you said you had some presenting issues like depression, anxiety, pornography, addiction, doesn't matter what your issues are, if you came to me and said, I have this presenting issue, my first question would be, tell me your story. You tell me your story, I can tell you your symptoms. You tell me your symptoms, I'll guess at your story, and I'll be right most of the time. No one lives life divorced from their story. That is true for me. The, the reason why I struggled with grandiosity issues was because of shame, and that was coming out of my story. I had a, a harsh father when I was growing up, and there was a lot of anger in my household. It creates shame inside. You look at Joseph's story and the grandiosity he struggled with, I'm telling you, it's in his story. You want to understand a person, understand their story. And this was true for Joseph too. And here's the good news. God can meet you in your damaged places. He may have to take us though to places that are humbling in order to heal us. To prepare us to achieve our destiny so we can make our greatest kingdom contribution. That's what happens to Joseph. And so if I were meeting Joseph along his journey as a slave or along his journey in a prison, and he was telling me about his heartache, I would have asked him this question, Joseph, tell me your story. And so today I want to take a look at it with you. In Genesis chapter 37, the story of Joseph begins, and this is how it starts. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his, father, with his brothers and he brought a bad report about them. Pause here just for a second. As far as we can tell, any place in the text, this is an unjustified bad report he is bringing about his brothers. 
There is no place in this Bible text story about Joseph and his family that indicates that he should have brought a bad report about them, that they were lazy sap suckers. It's not in the text. Okay? So why does he say this? Well, actually, that's why he tells you the next sentence. Now Israel, that is Joseph's father, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. You see, something started in Joseph's father, and it started way back before him. A thing called favoritism was part of his family tree. Abraham favored a person in his household. He favored Isaac. Remember, he favored Isaac to the point that he kicked Ishmael out of the household. Listen, sometimes we look at the patriarchs in the Old Testament and we think, oh, these great men of faith. They were dirty dogs sometimes. I mean, this is an evil action. Okay? But please understand the darkness of favoritism that started that day. Okay? The next generation, there's favorites too. Only this time, mom and dad can't agree on the favorite. They pick different favorites. Okay? Rebecca favors... Jacob and Isaac favors Esau. This time the household is split. And oh, by the way, there's all kinds of deception in the household as a result. And Jacob, Israel, favored Joseph. And it gets pretty dark. Look at what happens. He made a richly ornamented robe for him. You know, he didn't just favor him quietly and suddenly. And no, he had to make a show of the favoritism. It was a favoritism on display. And when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him. They couldn't speak a kind word to him. The favoritism began to create all kinds of dysfunction in this family. Joseph was the favored one, but please hear me, he is as damaged by the favoritism as they are. It shows up differently. In all of their cases, there's stuff going on in their souls. There's anger, there's animosity, there's jealousy, there's sibling rivalry, there's competition. That's what happens when there's envy and favoritism in a household. There's division in this household. And so they speak evil against him, and he in turn, dad's little favored one, goes and gives bad reports about them. It's not true, but that's what he does. And in the midst of this thing, they get sick and tired of him. And uh, he actually fuels the fire. Because in the midst of all of this rivalry, Joseph gets two dreams from God. And in these two dreams, his brothers come and bow down before him. As a matter of fact, even his mother and father bow down before him. And Joseph, in his utter foolish arrogance, has to tell them... He's already wearing the favored cloak of his father, and now coming with his special coat, he pushes their buttons and says, you know, I had this dream about you. <laughs> you know, here's the question you have to wrestle with. Why in the world would God, in His supernatural, all-knowing wisdom, give a young, brash, arrogant fool this dream? He knew he couldn't handle it. So why did he give it to him? I suspect 
God, in His supreme knowledge, knew He would abuse it. Yet He gave it to Him anyways. Why? With all of His shame that had produced all of His grandiosity, why? Let me give you my best shot as to why. I think before God meets you in your damaged places, He gives you a picture of what you can become. The prophetic picture steadies you in the breaking and healing process that is to come so you can reach your potential. Listen, God will give you, I'm going to tell you right now, God has given you glimpses of who He wants you to be. From the time you were little, He was giving you glimpses of your potential. Now you took some of those off the rails. You took some of those, inflated them with grandiosity, just like Joseph, just like me. Some of you took some of those and denied those because you have shame that not inflates, but deflates. You looked at it and said, I can never do that. I'll never amount to that. But God, in His wisdom, has given you glimpses of who you could be. He gave you those glimpses to sustain you in the painful process of the shaping hand that He needs to bring to your life. You see, before you can become the person of destiny, you must deal with your dysfunction. And everybody has it. No one escapes this sin-stained planet without dysfunction. No one. No one. When I was 24 years old, you know, I said to you, I had this call on my life. I was training. I was in seminary actually at ATS, and I was training for ministry. And one day I went alone with the Lord in a, in a prayer room, and I was just sitting alone with the Lord. And, and I, I had passion to see the kingdom come. And I was just seeking a lot. I don't even think I was seeking him for about, maybe I was, maybe I was seeking him about the future. I don't really remember. What I remember is what he said to me. I was 24 years old. The Lord said to me, listen, you're going to plant a cell church. After you plant a cell church, you're also going to work in the seminary. Uh, besides working as a seminary professor, you're going to write books that are going to be sold around the world. I'm going to have you teach leaders around the world. You will fight for renewal everywhere you go and you will see renewal take place wherever you go. I was 24 years old. I had grandiosity issues. And he laid that on me. Why? Because if he hadn't, I'm not sure I would have sustained the painful process of shaping that I needed to sustain. God gives Joseph a dream of his destiny to sustain him through the dealing with his dysfunction. And God often does that for us. Sadly, you know, his brothers take a dirty turn on him. <clears throat> they, they drew straws. The straw was between selling him into slavery or killing him. Slavery won. And so they sell him off into slavery. You pick up the story in Genesis 39, beginning at verse 1. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt after he was sold into slavery. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. Pause there. Please notice this. Remember that the story of favoritism in this family started with Abraham, who favored Isaac and sold out Ishmael. And now the favored one, Joseph, is sold by the Ishmaelites. Oh, see, that's not coincidental. This is part of the shaping hand of God. He's reversing something that has been broken in this family. He's reversing something that was so broken in the family, it broke the man of destiny. 
He had to fix it. So he's doing something very deep. Please hear me. The deep work of God is often a painful work that is utterly essential for you to become who you need to be to serve the purposes of God in your life. You must say yes. You must embrace the painful journey. Joseph does, but it ain't easy. Please notice the next sentence. The Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. I want you to notice some very important thing here. Joseph is in slavery, but God is still with him. Please hear the statement, this is not punitive. God sees the proud, unwise, brash man that he has become. But please hear, God is not against him, he is for him. God is not upset with him, he is shaping him. God is not angry with him, he loves him. What God is doing in him is not to make him feel bad, punish him, or point out his evil deeds. All he's trying to do is shape him. This is the shaping hand of God. And the ultimate proof of it is that the Lord never left him. The Lord is with him in his father's house, and the Lord is with him in slavery. And he gave him success. Listen, God's got a plan for his life. It's not to ruin the man. It's to make the man. But he's got to ruin what has been ruined in him in order to make him who God wants him to be. This is about shaping. And God's shaping Joseph so he can achieve his destiny, but he first must get to his dysfunction. And God uses his favor to heal the favoritism of his father that was so damaging. Favoritism has negatively shaped his life so that he's become too self-centered, too grandiose. And as a result, it is his favor that will ironically humble him. And it is his favor that will heal him. He's not trying to destroy him or knock him down a peg. He's trying to meet him in his unbroken, unsurrendered, soul-damaged places. And he does it with unmerited favor. It is the revelation of grace that cures the proud. I want you to think about this story for a second. You know, in Joseph's case, he's now in this place where he's in in a uh, slave position, but he's being noticed by his slave master, and the noticing is, is producing some favor on his life. Potiphar sees that God is with Joseph. He sees that the hand of the Lord is causing him to prosper. And so he's not the only one that takes notice. There's another person in the household that begins to notice, young Joseph. You see, Joseph is a very confident young man. I mean, favoritism will create a confidence in you that gives you sort of natural leadership qualities. That's part of the way God redeems your brokenness. There's good things that come out of your brokenness. And he's a leader. And on top of that, he's a well-dressed man. He knows how to dress good. His father taught him that. (laughs) And so he's well-dressed, confident young man, and he's a good-looking guy. And Potiphar's wife starts to notice. She keeps luring him, saying, come to bed with me. But you see, this man, though he's broken and has dysfunction, please understand, we're all mixed bags. He also has integrity. And he looks at Potiphar's wife and says, listen, your your husband has not withheld anything from me. I would never do this to him. He has integrity. He says, no, I, I won't sleep with his wife. She keeps coming after him. 
She keeps seducing him. He keeps resisting. Finally, one day, you know, he's there and she's there and they're alone and she grabs a hold of his robe and he flees, really just runs the room to get away. And she grabs his robe and takes his robe. He is disrobed. Oh, please pause. It was the ornamental robe that had ruined him with favoritism. Now he's disrobed. Oh, please see, this is the shaping hand of God. Please hear what I'm going to say. God must take away your symbolism of dysfunction. He will go after your roots. He takes away the robe. Now please hear me. Then she gives a bad report about him. Notice in the beginning, his dysfunction causes him to give a bad report about his brothers that was not true. Now she gives a bad report about him that is not true. What does she say? She says, oh, this young Hebrew slave tried to seduce me. That's not true. He's the victim. Okay? So he's thrown in prison. I want you to know, once again, this is not punishment. This is a developmental hand of the Lord upon his life. Why? Because the Lord has a plan for this man's life, but before he can get him to his destiny, he must disrobe his dysfunction. And so he gets to prison. But notice this, chapter 39, verse 20. While Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor. In the eyes of the prison Lord. Please, please see the tenderness of the Lord. He is not against this man. He is for this man. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those who were held in prison. And he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care. Because the Lord was with Joseph. And gave him success in whatever he did. Both Times, both in slavery and in prison, twice it says the Lord was with him. The Father favored him once, the Lord double favors him. Why? Because it takes a double portion from the Lord to cure your dysfunction. He will give you what you need to deal with your dysfunction, but the one thing He requires is access. The only thing that can keep you from reaching your destiny is your failure to give Him access to the places of your dysfunction. If you will keep your dysfunction, you will miss your destiny. But if you will give Him access to your dysfunction, He can take you to your destiny. That's what's going on in Joseph's story. The Lord was with him at his father's house. The Lord was with him at Potiphar's house. The Lord was with him in prison. And it is the Lord's presence with him that is healing his dysfunction. It is the Lord's favor, His grace, His love that is resetting this man's identity that had been warped through favoritism. Are you tracking with me? Incredible important story. God was trying to break the pride that had been formed in Joseph through favoritism so that Joseph could be the kingdom leader God needed to save the planet. But in order for this man to be formed, there had to be these decade of chaos. Joseph is starting to get it. He's starting to realize that he is favored, not because he's better than everybody else, not grandiosity, but because God is with him. You know, the problem with shame is, if you think about shame, shame is a posture that looks like this. 
If somebody comes to me today and says, you know, I've never told anyone this before. No one ever looks me in the eye when they say that to me. When someone says that to me, I've never told anyone this before. And you reveal your darkest secret, you look like this. This is shame, but please notice the posture. The only person in the room I can see is me. Shame always makes it too much about you. Whether you then inflate yourself to feel better about the emptiness that is inside your soul, which is what Joseph did, the grandiosity, or you denigrate yourself because you feel like a loser, either way, you're making it too much about you. And the only way God can cure that is grace. His grace must break the dysfunction and the self-focus. God must meet us in our unbroken, unsurrendered, soul-damaged places before He can ever take us to our greatest kingdom potential and our greatest kingdom contribution. He must meet us in our dysfunction before He can take us to our destiny. In my case, you know, the way that God started accessing it in my life was through marriage pain. In uh, our case, you know, we planted a church. I planted a church in New England. It was, at that point, uh, is. Today, one of the least settled churches, uh, church regions in the U.S. Right now, about 4% of the population in New England goes to church. It is the least church region of the United States. What I planted in New England, you know, 14 churches that were planted in the Christian Missionary Alliance before I planted all failed. The 12 after me all failed. The church we planted grew. The hand of the Lord. There was favor. But my marriage, while the church was growing, began to fall apart. My wife no longer liked me. My biggest issue in life is a fear of not being loved, which of course I couldn't have identified back then because I had grandiosity, and that's how you inflate yourself to avoid the pain that's in your soul. And as my wife no longer liked me, I started to realize there's something broken inside of me. There's something the Lord is trying to access that's broken inside of me. And so I started to go after God. I started to give God access to the broken places. Listen, the Lord doesn't want to favor you in a way that favors your ministry or favors your, your prosperity or favors your productivity. The Lord wants to favor you. It's about you. It's not about what you do. The hand of the Lord was upon the ministry like the hand of the Lord was upon Joseph's life. But what God wanted to get to was Joseph's heart. And it was the same with me. He was going for my heart, not my ministry. It was in the midst of it that the Lord said something to me that was quite shocking to me. He says to me one day, I'm in the midst of this huge marriage pain. I'm in intense pain. And I hear the Lord one day when I'm seeking His face and I'm, I'm, I'm working through this junk in my soul. And I hear Him and He says to me, I want you to give me thanks for this marriage struggle. I said to him, listen, Lord, I'm grateful for a lot of things you've done for me and a lot of things you've done in me, and I'm grateful for a lot of things you have given me, but I'm not grateful for this. I don't know why you would want me to give you thanks for this. This is like the worst thing ever. He said to me, there's a day coming where you'll be more grateful for this than anything in your life. And I want you to thank me now in faith for what I'm about to do. And I started saying, yes, you know what? Giving thanks in the pain is part of access. Those who refuse to give God thanks in pain are refusing to give Him access. Because what you're doing is you're saying, I don't trust you. You should have given me something different. I deserved more. And so I started saying, Lord, I'm going to give you thanks in the pain. And He started accessing the deep places. Listen, the person I have become today could not have become today 
without that marriage pain. It is my single most grateful thing that has ever happened to me. He was right. What do you know? (laughs) While Joseph is in prison, two of the king's men have dreams. The cupbearer and the baker. This is a fascinating part of the story. Because Joseph is a man that is not seemingly on his track to become the person of his dream. If anything, he seems like he's headed in the exact opposite direction. And yet, when they have dreams, he says to them, Do not interpretations belong to God. Tell me your dreams. He still has faith in the dream God has given him. In spite of all the pain, all the disappointment, all the downward spirals, he has not let go. And he says, don't interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. And so they do. The cupbearer tells him his dream, and Joseph says, you're going to be restored to your position, which emboldens the baker. He thinks, wow, that guy got a good interpretation. I'm going to share mine. So he tells his, and he says, you, by the way, will lose your head and die. I don't know what that guy cooked. Wow. I mean, I've had some bad meals, but I never wanted to kill the cook. When the baker, uh, when the cupbearer is restored, Joseph says to him as he's being restored, he said, please remember me before Pharaoh. And he doesn't. Two years later. Two years. Please hear this. There are many times between when you realize you have some dysfunction before you realize your destiny where you feel like God has forgotten you. It is in the forgotten places that He does His deepest work if you'll give Him access. That's rooted in trust. Joseph doesn't give up. He just works with the favor he has. Two years later, Pharaoh has a dream. It disturbs him. Isn't it so ironic? All the dreams start to connect. The cupbearer remembers Joseph. And so he goes to Pharaoh and says, Oh, I forgot. And then he tells him about Joseph, the Hebrew slave now imprisoned, who has the capacity to interpret dreams. And so Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon when he had shaved and noticed the phrase, changed his clothes. The man who was unfortunately robed with an ornamental robe and then disrobed with an accusation that was not true is now re-robed in the court of Pharaoh. Oh, the hand of God. After he had been re-robed, he appeared before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh said to him, I had a dream and no one can interpret it, but I have heard it said of you. Oh, a good report. When he was robed in the ornamental robe, he gave a bad report about his brothers. When he was disrobed, she gave a bad report about him. And now he's re-robed, and the king gives a report about him that is positive. Because he has submitted himself to the shaping hand of God. He's now ready for his destiny. But I have heard it say of you, that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Notice his response, I cannot. Oh, you see, shame made it all about him, but the shaping favor of the hand of God upon his life has finally made it about God, not about him. 
What allows you to move from dysfunction to destiny is allowing God access to the broken places that stops making you too much about you and starts making it more about Him. And when you get to the place where it becomes more about Him than about you, you'll be ready for your destiny. I cannot do it, Joseph replied, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. All these years in slavery... All of these years in prison, all of these years being forgotten, all of these years under God's favor have accomplished something in Joseph's heart that no one noticed, no one but God. The unbroken man has become broken. The proud, young, brash man has become humble. The man who thought he was better than others has finally humbled himself before the Lord. This man of dysfunction has become a man of destiny. The person whose security had been rooted in being better than others is never going to be a secure person. Lest a better person comes along, but he's finally secure in the love of God. And though a person whose security is rooted in God's grace is secure because God's grace is an unending, unrelenting source. This man is now ready to lead a nation. With the change in his heart, I cannot, but God can. Joseph is promoted and the dream that he had at the beginning is finally fulfilled. After years of pain, God wants to meet us in our unbroken, unsurrendered, soul-damaged places so that He can take us to our greatest kingdom potential and greatest kingdom contribution. He wants to meet us in our dysfunction so He can take us to our destiny. This is the plan of God. But here's the thing. In the middle, between dysfunction and destiny, is your giving God access. You must say yes. You must give them access. Listen, Pastor Mike's been teaching for the last several weeks on you know inner healing and the deep places of your soul, you've got to give them access. There's only so much God will do for you. He won't force you to give access. You want to know why? Because that would be a bully. That would be what an oppressor does. He's not a bully. He's not an oppressor. He's a tender-hearted father. He invites, he woos, he asks, he doesn't force. So the only person that can give him access is you. And if you give him access to the deep places, he can bring a cure to your soul. But you must surrender to the shaping hand of God. You know, so often what we do is we come after God and we're desperate. You know, it's because of the broken places in our life that we're desperate. We feel this desperation and we'll cry out to God, God, I need you. I need you. I want more. And we'll ask God to take away symptoms. Oh God, take away this struggle in my life. Take away this problem in my life. Take away this pain in my life. Take away the marriage pain in my life. And we're crying out to God, but you know what he wants? He's not going to take that thing away until you give him access to the stuff that's causing it. Please hear me. It would be like God taking away the symptoms of cancer without taking away the cancer. You would die. And in His mercy, He says, no, no, I can't do that. I can't leave you in that condition. But if you'll give me access, I'll get to the deep places. I'll cure the broken places. For me, the access started, you know, when I was a young guy and in marriage struggles, for sure. That's where it started. And there were some good things that took place in those years, some really good things. But it wasn't done yet. So there was still a grandiosity piece. That cured a bunch of stuff inside, but there was still this grandiosity piece. I still had dreams and visions. Listen, some of them were from the Lord. He gave them to me just like Joseph. But they were fueled by shame. But I didn't understand. And then one day, 
You know, I, I started noticing this pattern. I, I kept going to the leadership summit. The leadership summit was a leadership gathering. Church leaders gathered. Willow Creek was doing this thing. And I would go to this summit. And I would bring dozens of people with me. Sometimes as many as 70 people. You know, we'd go to this leadership summit. And I would literally disappear when I was there. Just like got just completely absorbed in this stuff. And my staff would come to me and go, dude, what is with you when you come to these things? You like just disappear on it. And I would say, I, I'm not sure. It took me a while to figure it out. You know what it was? Here was what it was problem. I kept leaving the Willow Creek Leadership Summits with this deep, nagging feeling that I do not have what it takes. I don't have what it takes to do what God has called me to do. Do you know that's exactly where He wanted me? You see, if you think you have what it takes to accomplish God's destiny, then you're still making it too much about you. What God wants to get you, and when this process of developing you, He wants to get you to the place where you realize, I don't have what it takes. It takes the favor of God to achieve my destiny. It's not about me, it's about Him. And one day, you know, I was wrestling with this whole concept of, I don't have what it takes, which I finally articulated to the Lord, this is shame. And I said to the Lord, I said, I don't have what it takes to accomplish this. And the Lord said to me, exactly. I said to him, you're calling me to fight for renewal. And I don't know how to do it. He said, study Moses. He holds the key. I'll be honest, when he said that, I said, can we study the apostles? <laughs> I mean, you know, Moses had a miserable job with a miserable group of people, and he never accomplished what he really set out to accomplish. But the apostles, their ministry was so much more fun. <laughs> so much more fun. He said, study Moses. I said, okay, I will. You know what I discovered? At the beginning of Moses' journey, like Joseph, like me, like most of us, he has shame. He has a ton of it. He's got a pile of it. And in the beginning, it's an interesting thing. God calls him. And you ever consider the impossible assignment that God calls him to? Let me sum it up. Here it is. You ready? God calls him to lead a group of people out of a land where the people don't want him to leave, into a land where the people don't want him to come, with a group of people who don't want to make the trip. That's his job. <laughs> By the way, welcome to the pastorate. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> wow. This is what it means to be a spiritual leader. And see, then they try to teach you leadership principles to make that happen. Yeah, no wonder pastors feel so crappy. It's a Hebrew word. You can look it up later on. You see, you know, when God gives Moses the impossible assignment, you know what he says? Who am I? I uh, see, that's the question of shame. I don't have what it takes. I can't do this. I can't make this happen. Notice the posture. You're just making it too much about you. You know what the Lord's answer is? I will be with you. Oh, it's, it's not about you. Can't you see? It's about me. And as I sat there in those days, and I started to realize this thing's all about the Lord. I started to seek the Lord like never before. With energy, with vigor, with passion, I stopped studying leadership principles like I was intensely studying leadership principles to somehow make human means the, the, the way that we could make a move of God. And I finally went, this is all about His presence. And I pursued Him full on. You know what's funny? I'm literally living the dream that God has given me.
At this point in my life, all of the things that God told me at 24, I'm seeing. And in the process of pursuing Him, I've started to see things happen in the kingdom that I've never seen before. I'm seeing miracles like I've never seen before. I'm seeing healings and deliverances and freedom and fullness. I'm seeing more people filled than I've ever seen before. And you know why? Because I stopped making it about me and I started making it about Him. And in the process, He started to unpack the garbage in the suitcase that had made it made too much about me in the first place. Now listen to me. You've been listening to Mike talk about this stuff for weeks on end. And some of you still got junk in the suitcase that's making it too much about you. The one thing God most wants is just access. If you'll let His grace in, let His love in, and let His favor in, He can cure the dysfunction and lead you to your destiny. Some of you have lost your dream because of the pain. And it's time to recover the dream and not put you in the equation. Some of you, you have the dream, but you've made it too much about you. And it's time to make it about Him. Let's pray together. Father, in all of our lives, there's, there's a dream. You have a dream for us. You have a plan, a purpose, a destiny. You want us to make a difference in the planet. You are about making a difference in the planet. And you want us to contribute. But for some of us, you know, the damage, like Joseph, like me, the damage has kept us from achieving the destiny. Honestly, for a bunch of us, you know what? The damage has made it way too much about us. We haven't made it about you. We've been way too self-focused. It's about our dreams, our wants, our desires. And then we get disappointed, we get hurt, we get offended. Because we're making it too much about us. Today, would you help us to make a shift? Would you help us to get our eyes on you and not on us? And would you, just for some of us, that we, we really have not given you access yet to the deep places. There's been a reluctance to let you in. Today, I pray you'd write an eternal yes on every one of our hearts and we'd give you access. Yes, Lord. Just yes. Some of you are here this morning and you know, it's time for you to do some business with God. There's some stuff you need to surrender. There's some things you need to redeem that you've lost. Some dreams that you gave up on. It's time to refire them. Some of you are going to need some prayer and there's going to be prayer people up front today that's going to help you process. Some of you can do business with God right where you are. Let's give them access.